Well, good evening, everybody. How are we doing? Good. I heard you're full of energy and life, so I expect that during my message. Hey, uh, I want to just say something to you, uh, a big thank you to you at Friends. Uh, we just finished our fiscal year, and so we end in June. And, you know, in all the uncertainty that goes on in the world, one thing I know is certain. You at Friends are just generous people. And uh, we have about a $10 million budget here um, per year. And you exceeded that budget and met all of our needs uh, this year. And God was very, very good to us. So I just want to thank you and thank him for uh, his faithfulness in the midst of all of that. So thank you. That doesn't mean you get to stop giving. There's a new year now, right? So we just keep on going. And we're in summer and we're excited. And we're in this series called uh, Really Trying to Ignite Your Faith. And uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about that. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Judges chapter 6, the Old Testament, Judges chapter 6. And tonight we're going to talk about a, a little bit of a familiar story of Gideon. Uh, but I, I think there's a few things that God wants to teach us through this scripture today. Uh, as a young boy and a kid growing up, uh, I have always been on a quest to win. Uh, one of my top gifts is competitiveness. I mean, I love to win. I enjoy a good competition. I enjoy a good battle. I enjoy a hard-fought game. And like many of you, I enjoy winning. Anybody else like to win? Anybody else great with losing? <laughs> Liar, come on. We want to win. And I don't care what it was. If it was playing the trumpet, playing basketball, golf, cornhole, Uno, you name it, I wanted to win. In band, I never wanted to be second chair. I always wanted to be first. I remember I got, uh, it was in junior high and I got beat by a, a girl. Um, her name was Kathy Kyle. She was a great trumpet player, but she beat me and she was first chair. And I remember sitting second chair for like six months and I kept challenging her every week because I was like, there's no way I'm staying in second chair. And I got back to first chair. I always wanted to be first. And it happened just a, a few months ago because I was playing basketball with a bunch of staff guys here. There's a bunch of young guys that play basketball still and I still play. And so I was playing with him. My son was in town and uh, he decided to play. So my son's 23. So we're playing basketball, and you know, the one thing I, I know at 53 is I can't keep up with the 23-year-old anymore, but I sure like to try. And so Nolan likes to guard me, so Nolan guarded me, um, and we were probably in our third game. And I remember going into the lane, and I remember going up uh, for a basket, and Nolan just came and just crushed me. And uh, literally, I, I hit the ground, and my lip, I looked down, and my lip was just bleeding because he'd come across, and he'd hit me. And then here was the clincher for my son, Nolan. After I'm laying on the ground, and seriously, there's blood there, and I'm just sitting there, and he goes, that was a foul on you, Dad. And I went. <laughs> I stayed down for just about 30 more seconds because my carnal spirit was about ready to come out. <clears throat> and I got up, and, and I just looked at him, and it's no longer looking down, it's looking up. And I said, you got to be kidding me. I said, you hammered me. He goes, no, you ran into me. It was a foul on you. And I went, all right. We finished that game. And here's what I know as I've gotten older. There's a couple things that I, I do now. Um, if I can play three games and I have no injury, I leave. That's a pretty good night. I get out before anything bad happens. The second thing is, I get out before I lose my salvation and my witness. So at that moment, I was sitting there and I'm like, all right, this is my son. And the intensity was just building because I wanted to go back out and act like I was 23 again. And I wanted to guard him. And you know what I did? <clears throat> we lost the game. And I go home. I said, you know what? I'm out. You guys have a great night. I didn't, I wasn't mad or upset. Didn't act like it anyway. I get home and I'm on the couch. Nolan comes home and he grabs something to drink and he sits down and he goes, I said, how'd it go? He goes, it was great. 
And I said, man, that was a tough game. He goes, yeah, you know you fouled me, right? <laughs> and I just went, hey, man, we're not having this conversation. Just so you know, I didn't foul you, but it's over now, or you're going to be over. Let me tell you right now, because... <laughs> And I want to win. And there's something in all of us that I think, at the end of the day, we want to win too. See, we want to win at everything. Not just at sports, but at life. You want to win. You want to be first, be successful, come out on top. Whether you're a salesperson or a teacher, a student or a business owner, an engineer or a doctor. I mean, all of us want the doctors to win and be successful, right? When they're operating on us, we want them to be winners and successful in what they do. We are driven by success and to do well, and there's nothing wrong with that. But many times the problem lies when we carry that mentality over into our spiritual lives, and we apply those same values to how we live out our faith and how we represent Jesus. Scripture tells us that we're in a battle. And we think we're in a battle against flesh and blood, against brothers and sisters, against one another. Scripture says, hey, don't mistake the battle you're in, first of all. You're in a battle, but some of you are fighting the wrong battle. And what you think you're fighting against, it's not what you're fighting against. And who you think you're fighting against is not who you're fighting against. Paul wrote it this way in Ephesians 6. He said, you're in a battle against the powers of the dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm." And when a battle comes or a trial comes in our lives, and it comes our way, people outside the faith, if you're a follower of Jesus and they know you're a follower of Jesus, they're watching you. And they're watching to see how you will respond or react in the midst of the battle. And most of the time, what I've seen and what I've observed, and honestly, what I have done in the middle of that battle is, I say what's most important, but I actually show what's most important. I talk and say this is important, but by my actions or my reactions is what is most important, and it really shows what I believe and who I believe in. See, battles and trials just reveal who you really trust in and what you really believe. And what is true for us culturally and naturally becomes true for what many of us experience spiritually. And that is we are in it to win it no matter the cost. And when a battle comes or a trial comes, we want to be on top. We want to be first. We want to come to the outer si other side successful because one thing we probably fear the most, many of us, is just losing. It's losing the battle. It's losing the fight. We want to come out on top. So when it comes to trials and tests and issues, we naturally side with our human side many times and not our spiritual side. We fall into the ways of the world or into the ways of our culture and the way they handle things, and many times we don't do it God's way. We somehow feel like we got to fight our way out of this or figure it all out, and especially when others are involved, because see, we'll do most of the time whatever it takes to come out on top. So tonight, I want to talk just a little bit about that. I want to talk about uh, our human nature and the battle that fights within us, but really how we fight our battles. And I want to start tonight by asking you a question as we talk about what it means to ignite our faith. I want to really help you understand that you can fully trust God in every battle. That you can fully trust God in every situation and in every trial and in every storm. That choice is left up to you. But let me ask you this. What if God is not putting you in the battle? You could substitute trial or circumstance 
to see what you're made of, but putting you in the battle to show you what he is made of. The Israelites, they're making their way into the promised land. And as always, they've, they've just been a little bit sidetracked. They've got a little bit distracted. They have taken their face off of God and they've put it squarely on themselves. So the Israelites, once again, have done evil in the sight of the Lord. And it's been going on for like seven years, the text tells us here in Judges chapter 6. So God gives them into the hands of the Midianites. There, they would be oppressed, and when they couldn't take it anymore, they would actually call out to God and cry out to him, and then God would send them a prophet, and that prophet would give them an answer, and he'd say, hey, listen up, you guys do the same thing every time. You just are in this circular motion, and you keep doing the same thing over and over again. The hand of God delivered you from slavery in Egypt. He rescued you from the Egyptians. He told you not to worship any other gods, but you have not listened, and you wonder now why you are in this position. But just like God does, he relented. And he had a plan to free them from the hand of the Midianites, even though they didn't deserve it. So the angel of the Lord comes down, and he sits next to this guy named Gideon. If you know the story of Gideon, it's awesome. He was threshing wheat down in the wine press to keep away from the Midianites. And then this angel shows up. Chapter 6, verse 12, let's read it together. It said, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but the Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? <laughs> Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, well, I will be with you, and you will strike down the Midianites, leaving none alive. So if you don't hear anything else tonight, here's what I want you to hear and want you to remember, that less of you is always more with God. Less of you is always more with God. And we're going to come to understand that here in just a minute. Before the angel pronounces Gideon a mighty warrior, he tells him this. He tells him the Lord is with you. Isn't it interesting there at the beginning in verse 12 that, that they pronounce him a mighty warrior and he hadn't even gone to battle yet. <laughs> hey, Gideon, you're a mighty warrior, but you're, you're hanging out in the wine press. You're actually hiding from everyone so no one can find you. But the angel comes and speaks words of power over him and says, you are a mighty warrior and the Lord is going to be with you. See, verse 13, then Gideon comes and asks the question, but if the Lord is with us, then why? Why has all this happened to us? Have you ever thought the same thing? Hey God, if you are for me and if you are with me, then, then why is all of this happening to me? See, Gideon assumes things just like we do. Gideon assumes that, that God's presence is aligned with his circumstances. And at this point in the story, Gideon's circumstances, they don't look very good. But the prophet Isaiah, he gave us some great insight into God and our circumstances. Listen to what Isaiah said in chapter 7. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and he will call him Emmanuel. So Jesus was going to be Emmanuel, revealing that God does not dwell in our circumstances, that God may use our circumstances, but Emmanuel means that actually God dwells with us. 
That see, his presence is with us in spite of all of our circumstances. And that's what Gideon and the Israelites are about ready to discover in this passage. And really, that's what we get to discover as we live out this thing called faith and trust God in everything. See, God didn't come in and change all of Gideon's circumstances and all the Israelites' circumstances in the moment. He didn't snap his finger and everything changed. No, in fact, to the human eye, when we start reading this story, God was making things worse, it seems like. But what he did was assure Gideon that in the battle, in his circumstances, that, hey, Gideon, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to provide a way in spite of you. And then Gideon cries out, hey, God, my clan is the weakest, and I am the least of the family. You've got the wrong dude. And these circumstances looked overwhelming to Gideon as he faced these mighty Midianites. See, and they would to you as well. They look like locusts all over the field. It says that there were about 135,000 in the army. So imagine what Gideon is thinking as he's looking out and he sees all the Midianites. He's got, you got the wrong guy. I am the weakest. My clan's terrible. We cannot fight these people. There are only about 32,000 of us and we're going to go up against 135,000. And he just begins to say what most of us would say in that circumstance. You got the wrong person. I'm not strong enough. I'm not good enough. You're crazy if you think that my 32,000 is going to beat the 135,000. And so Gideon, just like Moses did a couple of weeks ago when we talked about it, he asked for a sign. So God comes and he explodes some meat right there in verse 21, right in front of his face. He has a thing of meat. You can read it in chapter 6. Boom, he just explodes it and fire comes from the meat. And then Gideon's like, oh man, this is really God. And he believed for a moment that he wasn't crazy. But then he says, I need more signs. And God says, okay, I'm going to take it to a whole new level for you, Gideon. And he doesn't give him more to convince him. He actually starts taking things away. Chapter 7, verse 2. Look what it says. The Lord said to Gideon, here's the deal, Gideon. You got too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear, they may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while only 10,000 remained. Hey, Gideon, you want a sign? Let me give you a sign. You got too many men. You need to do a little, uh, a little thing here, a little experiment. And when people start to tremble, then you just need to say, it's time for you to go. And they left, and all of a sudden, now it's 10,000 against 135,000. And God comes along, and he begins to take everything away. And he says, listen, I need you to fight, but I need you to fight with less, because I'm the one that's going to be glorified. And what does that mean? Well, less of you is always more with God. And if that wasn't enough, he says, all right, Gideon, here's what I want you to do now. I want you to take them down to the river, and I want you to get a drink for them. And I want you to keep your eyes on the guys that lap like a dog. If you've read this, it's an awesome story. If they get out and they lap like a dog and they put their hands down and they stick their tongue out and they lick like a dog, those are the guys that I want you to keep. Everybody else, if they're sophisticated and they drink very nicely, I want you to get rid of them. So all of a sudden he's looking and he's got these guys that are lapping like a dog. Do you know how many there were? There was 300 so now he's down to 300. He goes, the lappers, those are the ones that I'm going to use. It's going to be 300 against 135,000. And Gideon has to be going, you've got to be kidding. 
Judges chapter 7, verse 7, here's what it says. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you. And I will give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us how Gideon was feeling in this moment. But let me ask you, how would you be feeling? How would you be feeling if the security, at least a little bit, of 32,000 men was now taken down to 300? How would you feel if you came and said, God, I need your help to fight this 135,000, and God said, you need less, you need less, you need less. And yet Gideon, this is what was asking him. And if that wasn't crazy enough, Gideon says, here, let me tell you what else I want you to do. I want you to give every soldier a trumpet. Oh, think about this. I want every soldier to have a trumpet. Take a pitcher. Got a pitcher. I don't think it looked like this. I don't think they had plastic, but here we go. We got a pitcher. And then I want you to take a torch. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to light that torch. I want you to go around the 135,000 men in the middle of the night. And I want you to surprise them. I want you to surround them. I want you to put that torch in the pitcher. And I want you to take that pitcher and I want you to slam it on the ground. And then I want you guys to take your trumpets and I want you to blow those trumpets loud. And then I want you to see what I'm going to do. How many of you are in for this battle right now? Huh? You're in? Because you know the end of the story. That's not fair. Just think about it. You're in the middle of the night. You got a trumpet and a pitcher and a torch. And there's 300 of you. You know what I'd do? I'd run. Or I'd play something. Taps would be it because I'm dead. There's 300. I'm out of here, right? But God says, no, you got to understand something, Gideon. This is the way I work. See, God was preparing him by paring him down. He was preparing him by paring him down and saying, listen, Gideon, all those extra men, that just gives you a little bit of security. And the only one I want you to trust is me. And you're not going to fight like the world fights. And you're not going to fight battles like culture tells us to fight battles. You're going to do it differently. And you're going to do it my way. And when you do it my way, I tend to show up and do something extraordinary. See, faith for all of us is only built by experience. And the more we risk, the more we step up and step out for God when he calls us, the more faith we will acquire. Great part of my job now at, at 53 years old is I get to watch guys and gals in the next generation step up and step out in faith. I get to watch a few older people do it as well, but the younger people just, they, they do it a lot more. And I get to watch guys like Jay who, who, who says, you know what, Matthew, um, I don't want to be a pastor. And I'm like, yeah, I think you do. <laughs> And I said, Jay, I think you need to plant a church in Orange. And he says, no, I don't think I do. And I said, yeah, I think you do. And then I get to look at Aaron Opog or Dave Hyman. I say, you know, you're going to go plant a, a campus in Eastfield. Or you're going to plant a campus in Anaheim. Or you're going to get to go do this. And, and we're going to be there. And we're going to support you. And we're going to love you. And they're like, no, I, I can't do that. And I'm like, yeah, you get to do that. And then you know what the greatest thing is, is to watch them. Step out in faith and then watch people come to Christ and then watch a church grow and then watch things happen and watch us now in the city of Orange 
have a hand in helping solve the homeless problem, as I shared a few weeks ago. Watch us plant new people into ministry and launch things. And, and all of it was done by faith, and every single one of them had fear. And I can tell you, they've all sat in my office and said, I don't think I want to do this. And I said, I don't really think it's about what you want to do. I think it's about what God wants to do through you. So let's go see what he wants to do. Gideon, I know you want, don't want to do this. But I am with you. And you're going to go from 32,000 to 10,000 to 300. And the one thing you are not going to get rid of is my presence and my power. And that is all you need. See, sometimes the very center of your fear will be the very place God wants you to actually go. And I know that if I keep saying no to God and the opportunities that are presented to me personally, that fear would rule my faith. And God actually wants us to have a faith that rules our fears, not a faith that is controlled by our fears. See, our choice is to actually trust God and believe when we don't know the outcome and we don't understand his ways. So let me ask you again, what if God is not putting you in the battle to see what you're made of, but putting you in the battle to show you what he is made of? Gideon's first cry was, my clan is the weakest and I am the least. So what should Gideon have done? Well, human nature, culture would have said, you need to power up, Gideon. You need all 32,000 men, and that probably won't be enough. You need to power up or you're going to lose for sure. And so many times we listen to the world and we listen to culture, and we try and position ourselves to win when God is asking us to posture ourselves in obedience and submission to him so that he can win. And his win and his kingdom look so, many diff so uh, different than ours. See, many people think that our primary purpose is to change culture. That's not true. Our primary purpose is to usher in the kingdom of God. And when we usher in the kingdom of God, secondarily, culture should begin to change. Because when we begin to live out kingdom values and principles, then culture begins to see something different in us and through us. And many times we think we're supposed to go and change culture. And no, we're supposed to bring in the kingdom of God into this place. He says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And many times we get those things backwards. And we think we're supposed to go change culture. And we're supposed to win every fight and every battle. And Jesus comes and he says, no, I didn't come to win. I came to lose. And see, when I went to a cross, I lost. That's what they thought. I lost the fight, but I won the battle. And for us, we're to be kingdom people first. And if we are representatives of the kingdom of God, then guess what? Culture will begin to see something different in us, and it will begin to change. But many times in the church, we've had those two in reverse. And that's when we start doing things our own way. Isaiah 55 said it this way, and the Lord was speaking through the prophet. It said, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. See, one of the greatest problems with society and with us as people is we give too much credit to what we think and way too little credit to what God says. 
God comes in and he says, hey, Matthew, your thoughts and your ways, they're like here. Mine, they're like here. And guess what? We reduce ourselves to listening to people here instead of listening to God up here who comes and says, my thoughts, my ways, they're way higher than anything you could ever imagine. I am the God that created everything, and with a snap, (laughs) the earth was put into motion. But one of our greatest problems is we give too much credit to ourselves, and then, guess what? Can I just remind you, we're like sheep. And when sheep talk, guess what? Sometimes we listen, and we just follow, and we just go along with them. There was this great little video on uh, Lloyd the Legalist. I follow him on Twitter, if you've ever seen Lloyd the Legalist. But it talked about this little sheep. And it says, you know what we do when we're sheep? We do it our way for a really long time. And then everything falls apart. And we go get, we go to God. Hey, get me out of this mess, God. And I promise I'll never do it again. And then guess what? We're just like sheep. We just kind of jump right back into the mess when God kind of rescues us. And watch this little video and it'll show exactly who we are and what we do. Check it out. Sheep's a little stuck. Going to get him out. Here we go. Perfect. Yay. So great. Well... (laughs) And there we are. We're right back where we started. And God comes and he says, hey, you guys, let me tell you something. My ways are not your way. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And if you continue to live down here on this plane, you're going to miss it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25 says it this way, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. See, when God comes through the angel and pronounces Gideon a mighty warrior, he hadn't even done anything yet. He hadn't even gone to battle. But God was speaking into him and over him words that he needed because he was preparing him For the battle that was to come. He was hiding in a wine press. Hiding from the enemy. But God called him and said. Hey Gideon. Yeah you're weak. But less of you. Is always more with me. Three pictures tonight. That's one of God. Less of you is always more with God. The second is Paul. Paul did great things for God. But scripture tells us he was given a thorn in his side. And he thought it hindered him from being everything God wanted him to be. And he kept asking God to take it away, to take it away. And in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 9 and 10, God comes and speaks to him. And he says, my grace is sufficient to you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul then goes, therefore I will not boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. This is why, for the Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Gideon, less of you is always more with me. Paul finally understood, it's in my weakness, not in my strength, that God comes and does something amazing. And then there's this one named Jesus Christ, and he comes to all of us, and he says this in chapter 16 of Matthew. He said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciples, well, guess what? you got to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. And what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? See, denying yourself means to live as others-centered. That you would be centered on others 
and their success and what God wants to do in your life to help them be all that God's called them to be. See, Jesus is the only one that did that perfectly. But he says, hey, you're supposed to follow in my footsteps. And if you want to live, you're going to have to die to yourself. You want to win? God comes and says, less is more. You want to grow in faith? Paul says, it's through your weakness, not your strength. You want to have an abundant life? Jesus says, you're going to have to die to yourself, not gain everything in the whole world. So tonight, what an amazing passage of Scripture. But now you get to choose if you really do believe that less of you is always more with God. Because the ways of scriptures and the ways of Jesus are countercultural. And they come up against the very nature of who we are. That's why you can't do it on your own. That's why most of the time you don't. If you're a follower of Jesus tonight, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. But what you must do every, every single day is yield yourself over to the Spirit of God. That's what it means to walk with God each and every moment, every day. You get a chance to yield yourself over and say, God, I can't do this on my own strength, number one. And number two, I don't really want to try anymore, but I'm yielding myself over to you. I mean, when we yield or we submit or we obey, that's when God shows up and says, hey, I can do something pretty extraordinary through you. You little weak dude hanging out in the wine press, Gideon, I can do something. But it's in yielding that we experience the very presence of God. See, in the first century, no one asked Christians if they were Christian. They were accused of it. See, it was evident by how they lived. It was evident that their life was different. It was evident that there was this new ethic that they were living by and walking by, and things began to change in the first century. But they didn't ask them if they were a Christian. They just saw it. It was in their evidence, and they, they were accused of being followers of Jesus. Anybody accuse you of that today? Anybody ask you, man, why, why do you love me? I mean, I, I'm broken. I've treated you so bad. Uh, I, I've done all these things to you, and yet you come to me as, as maybe what I would see as an enemy, and you've shown me so much love. Anybody ever said anything like that to you? Why do you do that? And then you get to raise your hand and go, well, you know what? Um, I get to follow Jesus. I can tell you everything in my human side. I just, I want to write you off if I was really honest. But because of Jesus, he's given me this ability to love you in spite of you and for you to love me in spite of me. And you want culture to change? We want things around us to change? See, Jesus comes and he says, you've got to start living differently. You can't trust that whatever is before you, you can't trust it fully and understand that everything you have is God's until you submit yourself over to Him. I have no idea what tomorrow holds. I have no idea what the next month, next year holds. But I just keep stepping into what Jesus has asked me to do. And I keep trusting Him. And sometimes He does a lot by subtraction when I want him to do things by multiplication. Gideon, if you trust me, I'm going to take care of you. 
So you know what happened when they sounded the trumpets and the pitchers were clanked on the ground and the torches were raised? It says all the Midianites turned on each other and they wiped themselves out. And the only thing the Israelites had to do was go in and clean it all up. How awesome is that? God says to every single one of us that are followers of Jesus, will you trust me? Then show me. And I will be with you. So three questions for you to think about this week. First one is this. Is there any area or concern in your life where you need to grow your trust in God? Is there an area of concern in your life where you need to trust your, grow your trust in God? What is it? Second thing is this. Is your faith more about your strength and ability rather than God's? What is one step you can take to rely more on Him? And third thing, is there anything you've avoided doing because you were afraid or felt inadequate? What might God be calling you to do right now with Gideon-like faith? I know this, that the fear of wondering what will happen if God doesn't actually come through can keep us from actually stepping out in faith. But I just want to tell you, when you experience God do something through you, more than you could ever imagine possible, it changes your faith forever. See, watching Gideon's faith soar, and if you have time, read chapter 6 through 8. After his relationship with God and he walked into battle, um, they got to bear witness to the truth. And they got to see the power of an almighty God. See, God's not putting you in the battle to see what you're made of. He is putting you in the battle to show you what he is made of. And the question for you tonight is, will you trust him? Stand with me if you would. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to say this out loud just two times probably with me. But uh, it's going to come and it's going to come personal. Just so you can take it home and keep it in your mind. But less of me is always more with God. Okay, ready? Say it loud. Less of me is always more with God. Say it one more time. Less of me is always more with God. God, um, tonight, man, I know in this world we're told to drive and to be successful and to be first and to finish first and it, whatever the cost. And then yet you come and walking with you is just a, a totally different picture. And God, to live in that tension and, and to, to balance it out and to figure it out, um, it's difficult. And yet, God, there is a place where you've called us as, as your followers that we just don't live out your ethics and your ways when it feels good, when it benefits us. We don't just do it for spiritual things. It says that we do it for everything. And so, God, um, I pray by your spirit that tonight, uh, for some of us, that maybe we need to understand a few things. And maybe you are calling us uh, into uh, just a greater relationship with you, but a greater trust in you. And for many that are walking through battles and are in some trials right now, and God, they, they see no way out, I just pray over them and for them right now. 
I pray, God, that they would, they would look at Scripture and they would see that your ways are not our ways and your thoughts are not ours, but you can be trusted and they are higher and they are better and they are greater. And God, I pray that as people, we would seek you with everything. And that in the midst of the battles, God, um, you're working in us so you can work through us. So God, may, may we bring your kingdom to this earth. May we as people of Jesus love as you loved and and gave as you gave, and, and cared as you cared, and forgive, and forgave as you forgive. And God, tonight, as, as we are here, we end this service. And I pray these are just not words that we sing, that like, this is how I fight my battles. But God, this is really a way of life for us. So take us this week, that we would make a difference in this world. Take us this week, that we might be people of faith that would step out, and whatever that might be, and that we would place all of our trust and hope in you. For God, you can be trusted. So we thank you for tonight. We thank you for this group of people called friends. And I just pray your blessing and provision over each and every one of them. And we do this all in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.